All right, we're in day three of Health Week, and this time around, we are looking at Huberman Lab and the interview of Dr. Wendy Suzuki. I think this one's special because it's doctors interviewing doctors, and they're not really dummy down. Obviously, they know that they're on a podcast, so they have to explain stuff. But I think it's nice to see doctors experimenting on themselves or observing effects on themselves, not just quoting studies that may be reversed or not reproducible. Um, they actually believe this and practice this on themselves. Tell us your story around this. I know you've told it before, but mm-hmm. like a lot of members of the audience and I would love to hear you know how you came to this. Because yeah. growing up in neuroscience, I knew you as one of the, I would say one of the three or four, and they're all alongside one another, not, um, this isn't a hierarchical statement, three or four top memory researchers in the world, right? Textbook material is Suzuki. Uh, in the, t- my textbooks are filled with the word Suzuki, your last name, uh, according to the information on memory and memory formation. So you were doing that mm-hmm. and doing the things that academics do. And yeah. then you're still doing that, but yes. and still at a very high level, but then things took a different direction. And yeah. Maybe we could talk about your story and how um, you came to the place you are at now, yeah. because I think it provides a number of tools that people could um, implement themselves. Yeah, yeah. So this story happened um, as I was working to get tenure at NYU. And, and as you know, it's a, it's a stress-filled process. They give you six years to you know, show your stuff and you are judged in front of all your colleagues and either they say, okay, you can join the club or they say, sorry, you are you know, humiliated in front of everybody. And this was they, was going they actually mind. tell people to leave. Yeah, if you don't get tenure, yeah. you're gone. You you have to leave your right. institution. And so, um, so you know, you work really, really hard. And so, my strategy was, um, I'm just going to not do anything but work. And I'm just going to work. And I'm I'm going to uh, just work as hard as I can for the six years. And um, what happens when you work and you don't have any sort of life outside of work? And um, you live in New York where there's all sorts of really good takeout. Uh, you gain 25 pounds, which is exactly what I did. And you get really, really stressed. And you start to ask yourself, how come I'm living in New York City and I love Broadway? And I've never, I haven't gone to a Broadway show in two years. Um, and so I, I, so I, I, 25 pounds overweight, I, um, I decided to go on vacation. And uh, I went by myself because I had no friends. And I went to, um, I, I did an adventure um, uh, river rafting trip in Peru. And so I go by myself and, you know, meet other interesting people. And um, I, I was the weakest person on this whole trip. Like I was, I, they were so much in better shape. It was embarrassing. And they won't say this. They won't admit this to me, but it was true. And I kind of came back and I said, okay, I cannot be the weakest person. I'm in my late 30s. I have to do something. So I went to the gym and um, I said, oh my God, I'm 25 pounds overweight. Let's, let's try at least to uh, um, lose this weight. And so I go to the gym. Um, I notice how much better I feel when I go to just a single class. I remember the very first class I went to was a hip hop dance class. I'm a terrible hip hop dancer, but I still felt good after, after that class. And then... Fast forward year and a half, I've lost the 25 pounds. So proud of myself, so much happier. And I'm sitting in my office doing what you and I do a lot, which is writing an NIH grant, which is our lifeblood, right? And um, writing, writing, writing. 
And this thought goes through my mind that had never gone through my mind before, which what during this six years of grant of frantic grant writing when I was trying to get tenure. And that thought was, grant writing went well today. You know, that 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 felt good. I was like, I've never had that thought before. What, what's going on here? This is really weird. I don't know that anyone has had that thought before. <laughs> no, I'm sure people have had that thought. But um, I thought maybe I'm just having a good day. Um, but when I thought about it, I thought it's, it's not just today. My grant writing seems to have been getting smoother. Like I'm able to focus longer. It, the, the sessions feel, feel better to me. And you know, at that point, the only thing that I changed in my life, it was a huge thing, but I had become a gym rat rather than a workaholic. And that's when my, you know, spidey sense for neuroscientists popped up. And I said, what do we know about the effects of exercise on your brain? Um, because if I think about it, what was better about my writing is I could focus longer and deeper, very important. And I could remember those little details that you try and pull together for your million-dollar NIH grant from, you know, 30 different articles that you have open on your screen all at the same time. That's the hippocampal memory. I was studying that. I was writing the grants on, on hippocampal memory. And uh, so that's when I got really interested in the effects of exercise on both prefrontal focus and attention function and hippocampal function because of my own observation and this kind of, I still remember where, where I was sitting, which office I was in when I had this revelation. But the thing that really sealed it for me that made me think not just, oh, this is interesting, but I, I wanna study this, is right around that time, um, I got a phone call from my mom um, who said that my dad wasn't feeling well and that he had, um, told her that he got lost driving back from the 7-Eleven, which is literally seven blocks from our house that I grew up in. And um, I knew that was that was hippocampal function. I suspected dementia. I suspected, though didn't want to admit, Alzheimer's dementia, which he, which he had. And um, it was funny because, I mean, it wasn't funny, but um, my mom and dad are two sides of a very different coin. My dad is the the uh, the engineer not so active all his life, but would loved and sit sit and read books all day. My mom was the athlete. She she played tennis, team tennis into her eighties, and uh, and it it started to show at, at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then I had then I had even a a more pressing reason to think about what the effects of exercise were because I noticed that all the things that were improving in my brain suddenly went away in my, my dad's brain. Really, really smart guy, engineer in you know, Silicon Valley, helped, helped that push in Silicon Valley in the 70s happen. He had no more memory. He couldn't focus his attention. His mood was rock bottom. He's a very happy guy. And everything was the opposite in me. And I started thinking, this isn't just something to help you know, somebody who wants to get tenure. Um, this is something that could help millions and millions of people. Most importantly, our aging population. What if, you know, what's happening? And so the thing that makes me wake up in the morning is when I realized that every single time you move your body, um, you are um, releasing a whole bunch of neurochemicals. 
And some of them we've talked about that the good mood comes from dopamine and serotonin and noradrenaline. But the thing that gets released also, particularly with aerobic exercise, is a growth factor called um, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF. And that is so important because what it does is it goes directly to your hippocampus and it helps brand new brain cells grow in your hippocampus. We all have that. Even if you're a couch potato, you can get new brain cells in your hippocampus to grow. But it's like giving your hippocampus a, um, a boost with this regular BDNF if you are exercising, which means that we all have the capacity to grow a bigger, fatter, fluffier hippocampus. And so what I like to give people is this image of every single time you move your body, it's like giving your brain this wonderful bubble bath of neurochemicals. What's going on? I, I need my bubble bath of noradrenaline and dopamine and serotonin and growth factors. And with regular bubble baths, what am I doing? I'm growing a big, fat, fluffy hippocampus. And I'm not going to cure my father's dementia, Alzheimer's dementia. But you know what? If I go into my 70s with a big, fat, fluffy hippocampus, even if I have that in my genes and it starts to uh, kick in, it's going to take longer for that disease to start to affect my ability to form and retain new long-term memories for facts and events, which is my motivation for getting up and doing my 30 to 45 minutes of, of aerobic exercise every day. Fantastic. Um, quick question about your protocol, just yeah. because, uh, and then I'll, we'll discuss a few mechanistic things related to what signals the body might be sending in the brain mm. and a little bit more uh, detail on uh, BDNF and yeah. some circuitry. So you, 30 to 45 minutes, of, it sounds like cardiovascular exercise might be special. Yes. But as I say that, I and I think about the literature that I'm aware of mm -hmm. in mice and some in monkeys and certainly in humans, looking at the effects of exercise on brain function and typically the outcome is improvement mm -hmm. almost always. I, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a paper showing that when animals or humans exercise more that their brain gets worse. No. Um, I just can't yeah. think of a single paper. It doesn't mean yeah. it doesn't exist. I'm sure someone will put one in the comment section. <laughs> <laughs> They'll find that one. And, th and thank you for, if you can find that. But, um, but it seems like it's always cardiovascular exercise and experimentally in a lab, it's a lot easier to get a mouse to run on a treadmill yeah. than it is to get a mouse to lift weights. Although people have put <laughs> right. little ankle weights on yeah. mice and done, yes. the, and the ways of getting mice to do resistance work is actually a little bit barbaric because stressful. oftentimes they'll, yeah. they'll incapacitate a limb to overload another limb. Yeah. So it's an asymmetric thing. It's mm -hmm. not the sa same as sending them in to do squats right. Um, right. or deadlifts or something. Yeah. So um, but cardiovascular exercise might be special. Yeah, and yeah. What are your thoughts on that? And please first though, tell us your routine. Your routine is 30 to 45 minutes of, are you a Peloton cycler? Or yeah. you, does it matter? Um, I think that uh, the data suggests that as long as your heart rate is getting up mm -hmm. for these long-term effects on your hippocampus and prefrontal cortex, you, you also uh, um, get better at shifting and focusing your attention. Um, for that, you need cardiovascular. And what I use is a, a video workout that I started even before the pandemic. It's called Daily Burn. And it's just, you know, thousands of different workouts. But I love, they are 30 minutes that I sometimes add on a 10 to 15 minute stretch at the beginning or at the end. But um, I love the variety. Sometimes I do it with weights. Sometimes I do it without weights. Uh, uh, I love kickboxing. So they have a lot of kickboxing in there. It just fits my... Um, fits my fits my routine and it's always there and I don't have to get 
all dressed up to go to the gym to, uh, <laughs> to, to work out. So that's, that's what I do. And that's a daily thing, seven yeah. days a week. Yeah. Seven days a week. Fantastic. Um, so in terms of the, the way that some of these changes are, are being conveyed fr- from the body to the brain, yeah. th- that fascinates me. Yeah. Right? I mean, as you and I know, and I'm, I'm sort of a repeating record on the uh, podcast, always saying, you know, you're, it, you got a brain, but you also have a spinal cord mm-hmm. and then your nervous system connects everything. Yeah. Every organ in your body is right. basically signaled to by the nervous system and back to the nervous system, your spleen, everything. But so let's imagine your morning routine, you, you do your cardiovascular exercise. Okay. So you're, you're pumping more blood. Mm-hmm. That's the definition of a higher heart rate. Stroke volume of the, of the, of the heart goes up over time. You're getting yeah. fitter. So blood flow to the brain is increasing. Mm. Do we know how that gets translated to a signal to release more BDNF? Mm, yeah. You know, and then it raises this other question, which is, does it matter where your mind is when you exercise? Mm, yeah. Because ultimately the brain, of course, you can anchor your attention to the exercise or you can mm-hmm. be listening to a podcast or right. something else. I've always wondered about this. Yeah, you know, yeah. Can we enhance the effects of exercise by combining the enhanced blood flow mm-hmm. with cognitive work during exercise? Yeah, yeah. Or is it simply a matter of just getting more blood flow up to the mm-hmm. hippocampus? Yeah, I wish I had the answer to that question too. My instinct is, yes, it matters, partially because of the work of your colleague, Aliyah Crum, on on mindset and the power of that to change how physiologically our body is responding. So how could it not work in her experiments and or work in her experiments and not work for my my morning or our morning exercise routine? So but but are there studies point to a study? I don't know of one. So exercise uh, uh, neuroscientists out there. I'd love to see you know that 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 study done. Um, so yes, it works. Um, before I go into the aerobic thing, I always like to start with the least amount of exercise to get something really mm-hmm. useful because I don't want people to say, "Oh God, I hate you know sweating. I don't want to listen anymore." So so I always like to start with um, studies have shown that just ten minutes of walking outside can shift your mood. That is part of that neurochemical bubble bath that you're getting, dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline. Um, and ten min- and anybody can walk for 10 minutes. Um, and so that is, uh, for all of you thinking that out there, what is the minimum that I could get some of these brain effects? 10 minutes of walking, anybody can do it. Uh, is outside important? I'm a big believer in getting photons yeah, into the yeah. eyes. It, yeah. um, I think that that study was done indoors on a treadmill. So, and, and the comparison wasn't done, but moving your, which is great. I, you know, some in the middle of the pandemic, I walked around my apartment for 30 minutes sometimes just for some variety, uh, felt like a rat on a running wheel, but, Mm -hmm. but, um, uh, yes. So, so that, that minimum amount of movement in your body can get you the, those mood effects, but, what about the big, fat, fluffy hippocampus? What about the better performing prefrontal cortex? That's where you start to need the, the cardio cardio workout. And from my reading of the literature, there haven't been enough studies you know, um, uh, directly comparing, contrasting kickboxing with running, with um, whatever, whatever other cardio that you need to do. But any cardio workout that is done has these positive effects. So I'm going to say my interpretation of that is that whatever way you get your heart rate up, including a power walk, a power walk can get your heart rate up. 
that that is beneficial. And what is happening, there are two pathways that have been studied about how you go from moving your body to more BDNF, that, that neurotrophin that's, uh, that's um, increasing the growth of new hippocampal brain cells. The two pathways are the following. One is a myokine, which is a protein released by the muscles. So, and not your heart. These are striated muscles um, in your body. And so by running, this, these were studies done in rats on running wheels. They showed that the running rats had um, more of this myokine release, the myokine passed the blood-brain barrier, so it got into the, the uh, rarefied, very protected bloodstream of inside the brain. And that myokine stimulated the release of BDNF in the brain. That's pathway number one. Pathway number two comes through the liver uh, because exercise is a stress on generally. Uh, how do we know that? Well, cortisol is released whenever we exercise. It, we, we need, we need uh, that sugar uh, in our blood. And so, so that's how the physiological um, mechanisms work. And so um, there is a uh, ketone, um, uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate, that we've known for a very long time that gets released by the liver during exercise. And we also know that that particular ketone passes that blood-brain barrier, and it's another stimulant for BDNF. So kind of the final common pathway seems to be um, BDNF stimulation in the hippocampus. Is it the only one? Probably not, but that's the one that has been studied most, most clearly. So it's, you know, it comes from all of our physiological systems, our muscles working, our liver um, responding to the stress of, of exercise. And what is it doing? It is making our, uh, you know, giving more BDNF precursors to get into our brain to cause the up spike of BDNF, um, which is part of your bubble bath that you're getting every time you move. I love that description of a factor from muscle and a factor from liver because anytime we're thinking about movement of the body and translating that to the brain, uh, as you so clearly pointed out, that needs to be, it needs to traverse the blood-brain barrier. Mm -hmm. Not everything that happens in the body is communicated to the brain. Yeah. And these seem like really important signals. Um, Beta-hydroxybutyrate, uh, you mentioned, is a ketone. Uh, I just want to underscore that doesn't mean, folks, that you need to be on a ketogenic diet. I think people hear ketone and they think, mm -hmm. it, you know, I know some people are, most people are not, I imagine. Um, there are ketones that are released in your brain and body that can function even if you're um, ingesting carbohydrates and not <laughs> ketogenic, just for a point of clarification. I do like the overall distinction between some light exercise being uh, good enough for your mood, but then some cardio being needed for the BDNF factor that they talked about in the episode.